0: Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Hello, welcome back. Before we jump into our wonderful guest, Melissa today, I wanted to just pop in here and remind you of my membership, depending on when you're listening to this, it may be live, it may be launching, or it may have been launched for several months or even a year down the road, but I want you just to take a peek at my website, rachelpritz.com. I'll put links in the show notes, but take a peek at the membership opportunity, this idea of having community around this problem that we all share and being able to grow and develop with one another throughout this membership. So take a peek at the options there. If you're not quite there yet and you're like, I just kind of want to try to take a break. There's my 14 day break from booze, which can help give you a nice little boost and even just some confidence to be able to join a membership. Or if you just want to jump in with both feet, we'll help you. That's what we're here for is to guide you through wherever you are. We're going to meet you where you are inside of this membership. So I would love to have you check out the details, see if it's the right fit for you. And we will get on with our guest, Melissa. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. I'm thrilled to have you.
1: Thank you, Rachel. I'm excited to be here too. Yeah.
0: Well, tell our listeners just a little bit about you. And then I want to jump right into your experience with alcohol. What has been your relationship with alcohol? It doesn't even matter. You know, I've talked to people that have never drank in their life and they're like, I still have a relationship with alcohol because it's so ingrained in our culture (laughs) So I would just love to hear just a little bit more about you, you know, how we connected and then also um, you know, just that relationship with alcohol that you've probably seen evolve over the last, I don't know, 20 plus years.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, so a little bit about me. So I've worn a lot of hats in my life. Um, I am a nurse. So I worked for many years as a bedside nurse um, in a lot of different settings. I got ambitious and I got my master's. So then I was a family nurse practitioner, also jumped around to lots of settings with that for several years. I um, have taught. So I've taught um, college students, undergraduate students, graduate students, um, mostly health professions. So like nursing, public health, um, some of those like pre-professional uh, realms as well. So like just a lot of different things. Um, and then I've done, I got my PhD in nursing, uh, focusing on health promotion and wellness. So I was always really interested in trying to get people to be healthy, trying to get people to be happy. Um, and then it led me to, um, once, once I said I got my PhD, so that was kind of a big deal. I liked it. And then I went on to kind of get a postdoctoral, um, specification and work, um, towards, research of health promote, ah, health promotion wellness, um, actually really into the science of uh, happiness and well-being study. So it's really evolved over the years. So I've done a lot of different things. Um, and then right now I am transitioning over into life coaching. So um, it's really just kind of been me trying to find myself and trying to find the way that I wanted to help people Um, and so I always really liked helping people, but I wasn't really sure what that looked like for a lot of years. So, uh, working in healthcare was really hard and I think I definitely got burnt out a lot. Um, and so that was, I think really what made me find a coach, which is how I found you. Um, and so finding a coach really opened up my eyes to kind of what I was looking for as far as trying to help people in a way that really impacts their life, not just their health. And then also really um, looks at them from kind of a positive aspect, instead of just looking at people through kind of that negative lens and um, seeing people as diseases or being broken or having problems. So it's been a big journey.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's super relatable. That's essentially my journey of coming from, you know, healthcare. And, you know, I remember just sending people home after surgeries, we would, you know, do a surgery on them and say, nothing's wrong with you. Uh, We didn't find anything wrong with Mm -hmm. you. And they would leave just, you, you could see it on their face. They were so defeated because they were experiencing pain. Whether or not mm-hmm. it was physical, emotional, whatever you want to call it. But regardless, we didn't serve them well by sending them out the door and just saying nothing. We couldn't find anything wrong with you. So that means nothing's wrong with you because they were still experiencing that. Yeah. And so I just kept thinking we have to do better than that. That can't be it. Um, and it was, I was watching it happen to a lot of women and it was really frustrating yeah. to me. So, you know, I'm like, we got to figure out a better way because they may be struggling with some emotional very painful experiences that we're not digging into and we're really not serving them the way we could. And I understand healthcare is so complex and, you know, payers and all the things it's so complicated. (laughs) So it's not an easy fix. Um, But that was one of my drivers was, you know, I wanted to help people and I don't really feel like I'm helping that many people. I feel like I could help people in a very different, more impactful way by, jumping into this coaching and, you know, mentoring people to get, to reach their full potential, to not feel like they're a victim in their own lives. And there's a lot to work through with that. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, our own journeys with that and, you know, having coaches, having therapists, you know, to help us work through some of that and get more clarity around it. So I love that you haven't had a linear path. I haven't either. I would have not (laughs) expected that when I first went off to college, you know, back in 1998. Yeah. Um, so you know, I would have expected that, you know, I would have gotten a job like my parents did and had the same job till I, you know, retired and that's not what happened. So, and I'm so grateful (laughs) that that's not what happened because I've really followed the breadcrumbs and that has gotten me closer and closer to where I want to really be. So I love that you're sharing that story. Very similar story on my end for sure. So, you know, obviously you've had some stressful times in life. You have gotten a PhD for goodness sake. That's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of time, energy, (laughs) time away from family. What was your Mm -hmm. relationship with alcohol? Maybe during that period, or maybe just another stressful, you know, time period, maybe it was being a bedside nurse that can be incredibly stressful. Uh, what, what was the relationship with alcohol? How did you use it or maybe not use it, uh, to combat stress?
1: Yeah, that's really good. So my alcohol relationship has definitely changed a lot over the years. So I would always say that I have majority been kind of a social drinker. So um, I like to drink um, at celebrations and at events and, you know, at, at a meal out with my husband or, you know, with friends. Um, but I really don't drink alcohol much now. i um, it's primarily just on the weekends. um, And it's a lot less than it used to be. Um, When I was younger, and I was working in healthcare, I used to drink a lot more. And especially when I was working as a bedside nurse, and when my children were small, so I have three daughters, um, they're all within five years. So when I was working as a bedside nurse, I was working 12 hours, I was working nights, weekends, holidays, all of that stuff. Um, But I would relax with usually a beer every day. So it was at the end of the day, I would look forward to having one or two beers. um, And I really liked craft beers. Uh, Those were really kind of my jam and really my drink of choice. But that was how I tried to relax. Um, And it was it was kind of like a comfort thing. It was a little bit of a release. Um, It was a little bit of pleasure. And it was something that I looked forward to. It definitely did not help me sleep. I also had my youngest child was really a non-sleeper for like the first three years of her life. So that, coupled with working on a master's degree, was just kind of like um, it was a, a circus. It was chaotic. It was kind of a a crap show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, But that was you can you know, say that shit was something- by the way.
0: My my podcast yeah, has was- an e on it at all times because <laughs> I never know when I'm going to say shit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was a shit show. I mean, it was—it's hard. It's hard to take care of people, you know, in healthcare for twelve hours. And I was working in ICUs and stuff, so people were incredibly sick. Um, and then, you know, coming home to working, taking care of my kids, <laughs> uh, you know, so you're always on. And then just mm-hmm. not getting that rest and recharge like you need. Um, you know, nurses know they need all this stuff, but it's really hard to do all that for yourself when you know you have other humans that are dependent on you and you're trying to you kind of prioritize them over yourself so that little you know glass of beer or whatever is kind of just that tiny little piece of comfort or stress relief Um, but like I said over the years like when I was working on my PhD I was drinking a lot less by then Um, and now like I said even less and I do enjoy it from time to time but I think I've shifted from realizing that that's not my only sense of stress relief or comfort, or, um, I have a lot of other tools I think that I've developed over the years. It's just taken a long time to get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I talked to a lot of nurses and teachers, which I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarities around the caretaking and caretaking for many hours of the day. You know, when I was first a nurse, I mean, for the first 10 years, I didn't have kids. I was single. Mm-hmm. I went home. I do whatever mm-hmm. I wanted at home. And I would kind of be like, what's the big deal about, you know, like I go home and take care of myself. You know, I did not connect that until I had my own family. And then I was like, oh shit, I never get to be off. I never yeah. get to be off. And I had that opportunity for the first 10 years of my career. So it was like, this doesn't work anymore. I can't be mm-hmm. a caregiver in all areas of life because there's just no time or space for me. There's truly wasn't time or space for me <laughs> So um, if I wanted to sleep, which we know is incredibly important for our health, you know, so it's like, Mm -hmm. gosh, like, yeah, it was, it just felt like a a kind of impossible battle for sure. You mentioned the word pleasure and I want to just pick at that just a little bit. Tell me more about pleasure. So you don't use the beer um, or a drink as often. What do you do that you would consider pleasurable? That's just for you.
1: I really have found yoga to be a source of pleasure for me. So I found yoga about 10 years ago, but it's really, I've really developed my practice in the last uh, five years or so. And I think even through the pandemic, it helped because um, I found like some online stuff that was really easy to do and accessible. Um, And it really helped me connect um, my my body and my mind um, and really strengthen that and give me a sense of like, it gave me that stress relief, it gave me some exercise, um, it gave me some focus. And then I really started getting kind of fun. Um, so for me, that was a really good way to kind of tap into all those buckets or, you know, kind of kill two birds with one stone. So I really crave my yoga practice. Um, and I do that regularly. I also really like walking outside. And that's another thing that I discovered during the pandemic that I would exercise. But then I started getting into these walks. And I thought, you know, gosh, this is just really nice. Like I wasn't really walking for exercise, or it was more just something to do. Um, But then the longer I did it, I just really started enjoying it. And so now I really look forward to like nature walks or just being outside. Um, it's nothing really spectacular, but it's just something that a lot of times I'll do by myself. And it's just like me time. Sometimes it's, you know, just I go and I don't listen to any music or any podcasts or anything. And that's really fabulous. Um, And then other times I listen to music or I I listen to a podcast, Uh, just kind of, it's kind of dependent on what I feel like I need or like what I want. And I think it's just kind of really understanding that like, I have needs and I have wants. And I think for a long time, I just kind of lost that. And I think that's part of that caregiving kind of thing is, you know, when you put others before yourself for so long, you kind of forget that you have <laughs> needs and then you really forget about the ones. Um, and so I think that's, that was kind of, that's been kind of a journey that I've been on too.
0: I love that the difference between a need and a want because I often felt like the needs had to come before the wants, and I've kind of mm-hmm. that script where the wants sometimes come before the needs, and it all works yeah. out. Everything gets taken mm-hmm. care of, it's all good, you know. But like when I can yeah. actually front load that with more of my wants and then take care of the needs, I I feel like I'm much more efficient with the needs. I'm also Mm -hmm. like doing the needs with joy, which is interesting. You know, it's like, okay, those, like those needs don't feel like such a burden anymore because I've taken care of the wants. So I love that Mm -hmm. differentiation between those two things. Um, Yeah.
1: And I feel like that's been just such a huge... I mean, I, and I was, I used to always be a very task oriented person. I'm sure you probably were too, as a nurse, you know, we just get used to like checking the boxes and all those things that we have to do. Um, But I've kind of stepped back from that. And so it's actually been really nice to even look at those things that you have to do and not see them as like those annoying tasks. I don't know. It's just kind of a subtle shift in the mindset. I think that really um, has been huge too. So Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I know when I was, uh, you know, first discovered my coach and was kind of getting into coaching and she introduced me to Byron Katie, which if you don't know who she is, you should like, look her up. She, Mm -hmm. in one of her books, I remember sitting in the bathtub, listening to this book. And she said, you know, you could just choose to pick up the socks with joy instead of picking up the socks disgruntled at your family. And they are so lazy. They just put the socks everywhere. And you know, storming around the house. She's like, you could just pick up the socks with joy. You could choose that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) Um, does that mean I'm like, I'm not going to have any boundaries where I'm like, Hey, like you could, you can teach your family to pick up their own socks. Like that's certainly acceptable Mm -hmm. they were little, little kids then. So like their socks are falling off all the time they were everywhere so it's like you know i'm not going to tell my 1 year old they have to go put their socks in their laundry like i was picking that up you know so yeah i found that to just be such a, a beautiful mindset shift to say if i really want the socks picked up then i can pick them up with joy the rest of the family doesn't give a shit about the socks they really don't mm-hmm. so it's like what like what do i want to choose here do i want to storm around the house like the angry mom um, or do I want to just pick them up and be done with it? Cause that's what I want. I actually want them picked up. <laughs> so yes, so it's so like, so mind blowing. And I know you and I have had the wonderful experience of going through coach training with Martha Beck. So if you do not yes. know her, I would also highly suggest finding her. She definitely has a different sort of more Eastern take, um, in some regards mm-hmm. to, to the world and, and how we live. And she really pushes against societal norms, which is why I loved her. Cause th- that was really what was wrong <laughs> for me Is I was so socialized in one particular way. And it wasn't who I really am. It was not my essential self. And she taught me about my essential self. So, and yes. more and more of that comes out. And I think the wants come out in the essential self, the needs, Probably land more mm-hmm. in that social self, you know. So I'm always kind of toggling between those two, but I'm always looking for getting more and more of my essential self, getting more of those once taken care of, uh, before I jump into the needs or the checklist. So, I don't, you know, one of the reasons I had you on was really because you are an expert in this area of you know happiness and well being, and you've taught these courses to all of these people. Um, not just you know undergrad students, but it sounds like some graduate students too. So people that have lived mm-hmm. a little bit of life, and I just think we have a lot of misconception around what these words even mean. Like when I think of happy, I think of sort of that third grade emotional vocabulary that I have, where it's like I'm happy and sad, I'm <laughs> mad. And when people yes. say, "I will just be happy," or you know, like all I want is for happiness, or I want my kids to be happy, what does that mm-hmm. mean? You know, like that to me, yeah insinuates that I should always be positive, always be happy. Nothing should ever be wrong. I should always have a smile on my face. And that's just not the reality of the human experience. So tell me what I'm missing here and tell me what the <laughs> real, you know, definitions of these words that we keep hearing thrown around happiness, well-being, joy, what do they actually mean?
1: Yeah, no, you touched on it really good. Cause I feel like, um, there are so many misconceptions. There's so many different definitions. It depends on who you talk to, um, and really, that was one of the big things I realized, like, I was always really interested in what me- makes people happy and like kind of that connection between happiness and health. And so that's why I was really excited about my doctoral journey. But even within that journey, like I got a whole bunch of naysayers and everyone was like, you know, happiness is stupid. Why are you researching happiness? Like, you know, and you get a lot of that toxic kind of that, um, like I said, toxic, positive um, like positivity, you know, it's kind of that where people are like, Oh, just suck it up and be happy. And, you know, people should be happy all the time. No, that is definitely not what this whole kind of scientific realm is about. So really, when we're talking about being happy, and most people are just, you know, like you said, looking on the surface of your emotional, you know, happiness. So like being, uh, having a positive outlook or you know, thinking positively or feeling positively. Um, but when we're talking about measuring it scientifically, most researchers kind of have three dimensions of happiness. So, um, the first stage is kind of like the cognitive part of happiness. So that's looking at your satisfaction of life. So basically, you know, how do you feel like your ha- your life is? Are you a happy person? Is my life going well? So you're you're kind of like appraising how your life is going. So that's the cognitive part of it then you also have um, the affective part which is what that feeling so it's the emotional part so it's that feeling that you're happy um you know it's kind of like that third grade you know tiny aspect of it that people are you know saying when they're happy and then the third part is kind of that deeper sense of meaning or purpose um, and so usually that's called eudaimonia so In scientific terms, there's usually a couple different aspects of happiness, um, and some researchers will look at just one part of it, and other other people will look at kind of all of it together. So it's kind of like a gray area, so if you're reading about it, just kind of understand that there's different ways to talk about happiness. Um, yes, so during,
0: during the pandemic, <laughs> I took a happiness course, which you and I have talked about, because yes. it was, you know, available. And I'm like, yes. it's Lori Santos. Is that, right? is, yep. that,
1: is that right? Yep. Yep. Lori Santos. She's got so, a podcast. Yeah. And
0: that was interesting because that was different than some of the other stuff I had learned. So I do think mm-hmm. that we're kind of a little bit floundering on what this means and it sounds so simple and it's also so complex. Like nobody has figured this out. Nobody's figured out this recipe for <laughs> for happiness. Right. So let me just walk through those three. You said cognitive, affected and then there's this deeper meaning or purpose. So yep. I'm trying to, it helps me to connect to a, a personal example. So cognitively yeah. seven, eight years ago, everything on paper looked great. Like when I was looking at everything, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm married to a supportive, supportive partner. I have two healthy kids. I have this great job. I have great friendships. So, you know, I'm looking through my whole life and scanning it. And I'm like, everything's great. And I should be happy, but I'm not. And so, yeah. like I was like the effective part of it was like, but I'm not feeling that way. I'm actually feeling mm-hmm. quite miserable and feel <laughs> yeah. very disconnected to myself and the world around me. And then like the deeper meaning kind of came in where I'm like, this can't be it. Like this just doesn't mm-hmm. feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I I just didn't know what that was. So it felt very confusing and hard and I couldn't figure it out because there wasn't like a recipe for that. So I was kind of experiencing all three of those at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. and we want to get the hell out of there because that feels uncomfortable. So we're like, okay, so we got to make a big change. And that's rarely ever the answer, unless you're in like a toxic, abusive, you know, relationship or, or situation. So I did do the slower process and work through a coach and was able to articulate and get more clarity around what I wanted to do. And I had no idea I would ever do what I'm doing today for a living. It just was, again, following those breadcrumbs. So, um, so tell me, I mean, is that kind of the, I suppose, you know, reaction you get from a lot of students or have they not lived enough life to quite experience that? What's, you know, what's your take on that?
1: So I would say with students, like college students, it's really interesting. Like I've taught a happiness class there for three years. And usually um, I see the same thing over and over again. So it doesn't matter, you know, what your major is, uh, you know, where you're from, any of that stuff. But really people, a lot of them do have a sense of they understand kind of that affect of happiness, like the feelings of happiness. So, you know, most of them know things that make them happy, things that they like to do. They don't always do it. So that's one thing that keeps people you know, not from being happy is a lot of these college students are really stressed and they're doing all the social self things like the shoulds, you know, like I need to go study. I need to go do this. I need to go uh, to class. I need to go to my job, but they don't always fill the buckets of doing the things that bring them happiness. Um, and then a lot of them, some of them don't have, um, really that life satisfaction. Some of them do, some of them are kind of wise souls and they can kind of look overall that, you know, they've had a good life, like their parents provide for them, you know, they're lucky to be at college. Um, they might have an idea of what they want to do in the future. Um, and then some of them struggle with that eudaimonia, which is kind of the sense of meaning or purpose. Um, some of them have connected that, you know, some of them are a little bit more spiritual or they, you know, really feel like they've got, um, some kind of calling. Not a lot of them though. I would say a lot of them are still kind of trying to work that out. So, um, but a lot of them, they're just really stressed. I think the stress gets in the way of being happy and just kind of all that social stuff, you know, really sometimes prevents them from doing what they want or, you know, what, what they should do.
0: Yeah. 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 I think, you know, I really struggle with the word purpose. I used to hear people talk about that all the time. I found my purpose. And you hear these Mm. stories of, I knew I wanted to be a neurosurgeon at the age of three. And here's how I, and I was like, (laughs) missing something what's wrong with me. And I would say that I am in the camp of the majority of people. I think it's actually quite rare for people to actually know what their purpose is. I've kind of landed on the fact that my purpose is to continuously learn and grow. And if I do that throughout my life, I'm good. Like I'm good. And sometimes mm-hmm. I take some pauses where it's like, I just want to be, I don't want to learn and grow right now. There was a portion of the pandemic where I was like, I'm only listening to funny podcasts. I'm not listening to anything that has to do with my work or development or psychology or, you know, all these things that I normally listen to. And so that was really helpful for me. I'm trying to instill that in my kids, but yeah, I, I don't think, th- I think that is the rarity that people actually find their purpose at any age <laughs> and stick yeah. with that, that that is still their purpose and they don't evolve, you know, maybe through that or past that.
1: Yeah. I think some of them, they, they want to find that. But like you said, I think even as adults, like it's hard to find that. And there are a lot mm. of people that are definitely missing that. So, Yeah. Well, let's totally jump agree.
0: into well-being. You know, I people ask me all the yes. time, you know, you're a nurse and you do this this work and you're really interested in well-being. Will you come do a well-being talk for us? I'm like, sure. <laughs> so I'll come in and tell you, like, we all know, like, we all know the physical stuff. Like we're all educated Yeah. We know we need to sleep. We know we need to eat healthy. We know what healthy food is. That's not like we haven't been educated on that. Um, we know that right. we need to exercise. You know, we know all these yeah. things. Don't always do them, but broaden my definition of well-being a little bit. What how would you define that or some what are some of the ways that you teach that?
1: So I kind of teach well-being as uh it definitely includes happiness. So it's more of a multi-dimensional concept. So it includes the happiness or satisfaction. Um, But it also contains a bit more of like an appraisal of one's life. um, And it can include mental, physical, psychological, or even community. Um, There's different ways to measure, obviously, but I think of it more as like flourishing or thriving. So if you're saying you want to live optimally and have optimal well-being, it basically is just saying that you're wanting to be not surviving, you're going to be thriving. So, really enjoying your life and really doing all those things that bring you happiness and health and pleasure. Um, one of my favorite models comes from a uh, positive psychologist, Martin Seligman, and he's got this um, acronym PERMA, which I really like. And so, it's P E R M A. And so, for his model of well being, the P is positive emotions. So, that's like happiness or joy. Or satisfaction, um, it's engagement. So that's usually um, doing things that create flow, or being really connected in your job, or your or your schooling uh, relationships. So we know that positive relationships are really uh, beneficial to people's health and well-being. Uh, meaning, so having that sense of meaning or purpose, which is a lot of things. It could be spirituality. It can be a sense of religion. It can be being connected to a cause or advocating for something that you believe in. And then finally, is a sense of accomplishment. So it's, you know, doing something well, you know, getting that job, getting that award. Um, so I like his model a lot and I worked with it a lot um, when I was teaching. So, but there's other models as well. But it's just, um, I mean, happiness sounds a little bit more fun and it's more catchy, but I feel like well being is a little bit more. Uh, well-rounded and a little bit more meaningful.
0: Yes, I would say it sense? feels more accurate. And well-being does sound like just this bigger kind of multidimensional, like you said, bucket. You know, yeah. it doesn't feel quite as simple. Uh, yes. Tell me about the word joy. So, you know, I've I've read some about the the difference between happiness and joy and how that kind of fits in. You know, I think they all kind of fall under the well-being bucket. Um, but mm-hmm. what does the word joy mean to you, or how would you define that?
1: So joy is just an elevated form of happiness. So usually it's a higher energy form. So it's like happiness on a higher level, um, which is really great. But it's also usually a lot shorter lived. So it's not something that's going to last a really long time. Um, it's just going to be like those fleeting, you know, seconds or moments of something that you're experiencing. Um, but it's definitely it would it would definitely fit in the bucket of another positive emotion or uh, positive affect. Yeah, I've also heard the word glimmer lately. I don't know if you've heard that term um, before. Glimmer is kind of like the opposite of a trigger. And sometimes glimmer is also things that bring you joy. Have you heard that term Uh, yet? Glimmer? It's a newer term.
0: Like a glimmer of hope. And you know, like, Uh, I I think I get what you're saying, but that is the opposite of trigger. I love that. Yeah, I have not, I've seen I have it not a heard lot. That. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's newer. I've seen it a lot on social media lately. And it tends to be yeah, it's, it's looking for, you know, people talk about being triggered by things. But um, some of these ones, these posts I've seen are saying look for glimmers, you know, like these little, little pockets of joy, or these little things that really like light you up. So um, it kind of makes sense, because I think we all have that negativity bias to find negative things and get, you know, kind of stuck in that loop. But if we find these, you know, little tiny glimmers or these positive things, um, you know, that can really boost our moods too. So something kind of fun.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think just, yeah, expanding our language is always helpful, um, to Mm -hmm. better articulate what's going on. I remember my coach would say, like, I would tell her something like really crappy that was going on in my life. And she would come back and say, okay, well, what's perfect about that? And I would be like, that's "Perfect like, you, you, you just hear anything I said, are you listening to me? But that's essentially what she was getting me to do was to see the yeah. glimmer uh, behind the thing that I thought was just catastrophic, which really, as I talked about it out loud, I'm like, this is not catastrophic, but it felt that way, mm-hmm. you know, until I was able to yeah. kind of process it and verbalize it. So yeah. yeah, I love that. I've also heard some people say joy is more intrinsic and happiness is more extrinsic like happiness comes from things external to you joy Mm. is something you can create inside and it can't be taken away from you but the happiness so like Uh. an example is like i'm really happy in my job and then i get fired today (laughs) um okay well that's been taken away from me and i have no control over that but they can't take away the joy that I experience in just living, you know? So like, it's Uh a little bit of like the intrinsic extrinsic, I guess, self-worth or whatever that is. Like if we're taking it all from the external world and that's the only thing that is bringing us happiness or joy or whatever you want to call it, um, those things can be taken away. And that's why it feels so terrible and catastrophic when those things do happen, when we haven't, I think, grown or developed that intrinsic joy that nobody can take from us.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, yeah, it's like as far as when you associate happiness with external things, like you're always afraid that you can lose them. And like you say, then you won't be happy. But if you understand like those feelings or, you know, developing your own state of being or deciding, you know, choosing to be happy or choosing to experience joy, no matter what, that's when people really get, you know, happier and, you know, have higher levels of well-being. But like you said, like that takes, um, self-awareness and usually, you know, some like retraining of the mind. Like that doesn't just come easily to a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I know you mentioned some practical exercises that you might give students. So like we can talk about it academically. Actually, one of my big annoyances in the academic world, especially when we get into higher education, is that we talk about everything in theory. And I'm like, but how do we do that in real life? Because this is not helpful just to give us that information and not partner it with what does that actually look like in the real world? So what are some of those practical exercises for people to be able to grow and develop and build that self-awareness around happiness and well-being and joy?
1: Yeah. So like, I think the practical part of me, like as a nurse, like I definitely, when I was developing this class, like I wanted, I needed to teach, you know, some, obviously some information and some theory and, you know, some of that stuff, but I wanted to make it practical for these students because I wanted them to like live this stuff and try and, you know, play around with it. And I knew that, you know, these students were very stressed and anxious and a lot of them have mental health issues um, and they really do want to be happy. So I had a lot of practical exercises that I wanted the kids to do. And so some of them were really simple things. You know, we were just talking about, um, doing a meditation exercise, you know, there's so many apps out there that do guided meditations, Um, you know, find an app, try a meditation. You know, there's so many different types of meditation. A lot of the students, some of them have tried things like that. Um, Some of them hadn't. So some of them enjoyed it. Some of them hated it. Um, But then there was a lot of other ones too. So my goal with creating all these exercises was just that they would be easy to do, Um, that they would just kind of be a sampling of things that students could try to see, because not everything works. Everything works for everyone. Um, So really, the the trick is to find things that you enjoy and then incorporate them into your life. So we did. um, There's a lot of research about like doing gratitude exercises. So just gratitude journaling about things that you're thankful for. Um, So that was another exercise that the students did. We did um, like nature walks. There's a lot of, you know, I enjoy nature walks. A lot of the students like them. There's some research out there that, you know, you're, you're getting your your steps in, you're getting some cardiovascular, you're getting endorphins, um, things like that. Some of the students love that. Some of them, not so much. Um, Mm -hmm. we did, um, like music. So music can really change our mood. So a lot of students, you know, they have earpods in like 24 <laughs> seven, they might be listening to music, they might not be. Um, but a lot of times people are listening to music in the background. So I had them just do, you know, spend 30 minutes listening, just listening to music of your choice. Um, and some of the students were like, wow, that was so much fun to actually just sit and like, enjoy my music and not use it while I'm studying or something. So it was just um, a lot of things about being intentional and being mindful and not trying to multitask. I think that was kind of the essence. That was a common theme. Um, So those were some of the things. And then one of my favorites, we did a random act of kindness activity where the students just had to um, perform a random act of kindness to somebody and I mean you, I got all these great things like some are really simple and some were really amazing but it was just it was fun I really enjoyed reading about it and of course part of that was having them do something and then reflect on it and then write about it either in a discussion board or sending it to me to read so um yes. yeah, and I, I think getting
0: yeah getting them out of multitasking you know we all still <laughs> try to do that these kids are ahead of us in so many ways because they're getting this information at a young age like you and i are old ladies we're like circling yeah. back i'll <laughs> call myself an old lady you don't have to be an old lady
1: I, like, i'm on that back. page too
0: <laughs> yeah we're circling back to all this stuff that we weren't taught you know I and mean, the people just thought that this yeah. was innate to us as human beings and not in the world we live in today that is not true we have to really work at this stuff. And so in a lot of ways, I love that, you know, these kids are getting some of the stuff that I'm, you know, just discovering in the last seven, eight years. And it's really been honestly challenging and also really great to be able to grow and develop that. But, you know, the multitasking thing I think is so huge and that's not getting any easier in the world we live in today. I really struggle with just the amount of interruptions before we started and hit record. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have to turn this off. I've to turn this off because all these things will be dinging at me and my brain will go to that. Oh, I wonder what that is. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's somebody from my kid's school. I wonder if that's, you know, and so I think it's really difficult to do. So I love that, you know, you're teaching these kids that are half our age or even, you know, more, (laughs) um, how to do these things. You know, I just love that. And those are all so simple. Like those don't cost a lot of money. Yes it's simple. It's something we could do every day. How do you anchor people into, I suppose there's got to be some self-motivation to want this, Um, which is why I do Mm -hmm. it because I've been self-motivated. Maybe if I got it when I was 20, I wouldn't be as self-motivated. That's probably accurate. I would, would say that's probably true just knowing me at 20, but how do you get people to incorporate that, these practices and these intentions every day i mean is is there strategies for that or is that sort of like find your own motivation there
1: i'd say it's a little bit of both like i think the students um there were definitely some that were on board with trying these things like some people were just naturally more apt to try things. Others were kind of naysayers and a little bit poo-pooers with, you know, like, oh, that's kind of dumb, especially like things like sleep and stuff. They're like, oh, you know, why, why do I need all this sleep? You know, oh, well, I'm used to staying up late at night. I can, I can pull an all-nighter and, you know, you're trying to tell me to, you know, just get, you know, try and watch your sleep this week and see how you feel and how your moods are. Um, But Then I think some of them really connected to like there actually is a lot of research out there. And so sometimes people can get more motivated, especially like these highly ambitious college students when they realize that, you know, like there's research to support some of these things. Like it's not just this professor being silly and telling me, you know, that um, this gratitude exercise might, you know, lessen my depression or make me feel happier or you know, any of those things. So I think like some of it's that, um, and a lot of the students did say that like their normal daily routines, I think were maybe they thought that they were not set up to support some of these habits, like, especially the sleep thing. I think that was a big thing. The students said, like, I could get more sleep during the summer, but this is going to be harder for me to do during the academic year because I'm mm-hmm. so busy. Um, but I think honestly, people just make excuses for what they don't want to do. And so I think like, until you, I think a lot of it's just, you know, seeing it to believe it. I think a lot of people just have to see the results for themselves before they get on board. And then once they get on board, you know, then they are maybe a bit more motivated, motivation kicks in and they realize you know, I could do this or most of the time you can make some of these changes really easily. It doesn't really mean that it's going to be, you know, something huge that you have to change in in other aspects of your life you could fit it in really easily Um, people just don't realize that I think and then sometimes they realize it might require a change um, with other things in their life but that 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 would be a positive change Um, so I mean I think maybe college students I think they're a hard population to deal with as far as they can get these little insights and they can try these activities. Um, you know, a lot of them probably won't last, but maybe they'll remember that. So when they get out of these cycles, they'll think, oh gosh, I remember, you know, when I was doing these things and I was prioritizing, you know, my, my daily walks, like I felt a lot better and maybe yeah. I should try doing that, you know, like, you know, when finals, when things get tough. So I don't know. That's what I think. And then I think as we get older, I think, like you and I have said, like we just get a little bit maybe wiser. (laughs) And then we realize that, you know, we can construct our lives the way that we want, you know, to support us. And really all these things are about, you know, making your own choices to prioritize your own well being. Like nobody else is going to do it for you.
0: Yes. I think that like self drive or that agency over yourself, which is, you know, connecting it back to, alcohol use is one of my stress relieving behaviors when I looked at that I'm like but it's not creating any happiness it's doing the opposite it's not creating any joy it's doing the opposite it's not creating true well-being for me like I was doing all the other things but then I was like drinking a bottle of wine every night and it's like well wait a minute this isn't yeah. even working for me so yeah like sometimes that's a big disruption to your life it truly was I mean that was like a hobby of mine for a long time and so it's like now what and what do I do with all this mm-hmm. time because if you're not you know drinking, for three hours every night, what do you do? You know? So like, I had to really start pulling some of these things back up, even from when I was a 20 something that I used to do and really enjoy, or when I was 25 and I come home after a long shift, what did I do to, to decompress? Cause I hardly ever drank, you know? So it was like, Mm -hmm. that wasn't something I did in my twenties. So really interesting how some of these things do kind of circle back. (laughs) Um, into our lives. Maybe when the time's right too, you know, that we start to recognize like, this is a big deal. I have to do something about this. Um, So tell me a little bit, you know, obviously we've heard about loneliness. That's been a huge uh, research topic and just lots of people kind of looking into loneliness and, you know, we're lonelier than we've ever been, but we're supposed to be more connected than we actually, you know, uh, ever have been too. But, you know, they rate college students as some of the loneliest. You would think it would be maybe older people or you uh-huh. know, people that might be living in like an assisted living situation or whatever, but you know, there's loneliness there too. I think it's, I think it's the like silent pandemic, you know, I mean, I think we're all yeah. kind of like in this lonely, we can be surrounded by tons of people and still be lonely. We can have billion, you know, millions of followers on a social media platform and be completely lonely. And so how mm-hmm. does like the community aspects play into well-being you know what what does that look like we're all sitting in our own separate houses kind of like feeling alone feeling like you know nobody else struggles like we do and it's just not true and so when I started talking about drinking and how much I was drinking the amount of people that came out of the woodwork was astonishing and so it's like gosh but I had to talk about that to create that sort of community aspect which is what I'm Doing inside of my membership model, it's like we're we're having a community here where people can come in and not feel alone, not be sitting in their own separate house, feeling like they're the only one. So how do we kind of create that, or what's you know what's the recipe for success there? Maybe it's not specific, but I'm just kind of curious about that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think that you the pandemic definitely, like you said, lonely, loneliness was an issue before, but I think it was definitely it it fueled it huge. And like you said, it's elderly people, but it's also young people. Um, And it's really, I think, created this kind of loss of connection. And I think that that's how, you know, we know that relationships are a part of well-being and relationships are necessary for our survival. And um, I think that's where understanding that if we work on community well-being so just finding some type of community like you said if you can't find a community creating a community Mm -hmm. um and and starting that but i think it's also understanding that our we've got this kind of reciprocal relationship between individuals and communities as far as well-being so you know individuals are definitely affected by their environment um and then they also affect the environment so you can get you know people, individuals that are thriving, they will help to create thriving in their communities, which is really great. Um, Or likewise, you know, if we have this really vibrant community, whatever it is, whether it's your, you know, social community or it's an online community or it's your physical community. I mean, we can belong to lots of different communities, but, um, you know, we need to look at, you know, both sides of that. So I think it's really interesting to, understand that you know governments um and and groups are starting to think about you know promoting the well-being of its citizens and so mm-hmm. um we kind of touched on that in the class too so the you know the first part was really just understanding happiness and well-being and then looking at yourself and then we were starting to look at kind of communities too because we know that we're all parts of communities Um, And, you know, by making ourselves happier and healthier, we can help create a better society. And that in turn helps others. So um, I think it's interesting. I think there's definitely, there's so many ways that well-being is being measured. We've got like global measures of well-being. We've got governments that are creating um, ministers of happiness or things like that. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like buzz and hype around it. Um, and I think that there is a lot going on kind of in that in that field. Um, there's a lot of different disciplines, even academic ones that are looking at well-being and just all of that. So but yeah, I think I like what you were saying about how if you can't find what you're looking for to create it. And I think that's where like that takes courage. Um, I think sometimes people maybe just aren't feeling like they can create something, like if they don't find it. Um Yeah.
0: And you know, what's interesting is I feel like we're talking a lot about getting out of victim mentality and getting into more of an empowered mindset because we can sit there and say, oh man, like there's nothing out there for me. Like I couldn't find a sober-ish community, like a group of women that were just interested in like being curious about our relationship with alcohol instead of just, you know, saying like, it's a sobriety program, don't drink the end. You know, like I was like, I couldn't really find that. And I didn't really feel like I qualified for anything that was out there and so then I'm like, well what do I do? And yeah. you know, I could have stayed in that victim mentality um or I chose, you know, to go towards that empowerment. So, you know, it's like so, like you said nobody's coming for you. Like nobody's going to like especially as we, you know, like like kids grow up and move out of our houses and you know like they're now responsible for their own well-being. I'm not, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like yeah, how do how do we create that or how do we teach people to recognize what victim mentality was. Cause I'll be honest, when I first started with a coach, you know, eight years ago, I had no idea. I was so knee deep in victim mentality. I mean, I had pointed all the fingers at everything else. It was everyone else's fault. Everything else's fault. I had all the excuses in the, in the book for the reason why my life was the way it was. And it was me, like I was the Mm -hmm. problem. And so I had to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to let this happen to me anymore because I do have power over it. Like, you know, so, and like, I understand like people come back all the time to me and say, but what about this? And this happened to me. I'm like, of course those are awful circumstances. They are circumstances. Yes. That's it. So like we have to work through those. Am I happy all the time? Am I empowered all the time? No. No but I certainly right. am a lot more than I have been in my past. And that's the goal, you know? So yes. we just have to continuously work towards more and more agency and empowerment in our own lives and get our, get ourselves out of that victim mentality. Cause it certainly doesn't feel good to have somebody else tell us that like, you're a victim. Nobody wants to be told that, you know? So right. it's like, it's almost something we have to discover for ourselves or get so unhappy or so miserable that we just can't do that anymore, which is where I was at. I was like, I'm so miserable. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm willing to try anything. So, you know, like, how do we get, how do we catch people before they get to that? Like, I'm so miserable. And I loved your point around if we can get to one person and they can thrive the trickle down effect of that can be astronomical. I mean, it can be massive, and that was one of the reasons why I decided to be a coach. I would imagine it's one of the reasons why you decided to be a coach when you're in that thriving space. It's really hard to not see all the people that aren't thriving below you. And I'm not saying that in a hierarchical and better than anyone. It's actually heartbreaking to watch people walk through the world the way that I was walking through the world. I can't stand it. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, we mm-hmm. got to do something here. So I love that idea of like, we don't need to fix everything around us and the whole world. Cause that can feel so overwhelming. What if we just worked on ourselves? Like what if we just work on getting ourselves into that space of thriving more often and keeping ourselves there more often, and then we can trickle down to the other people. I certainly feel that I've done that over the last, you know, four or five years. I know you're doing that, you know? And so maybe mm-hmm. that's the message. Like maybe that's the focus is like focus on self you know, and, and yeah. let's leave all the other big, huge problems in the world at the doorstep. Cause those can be overwhelming and take up a lot of mental energy if we allow it.
1: Yeah, sure. I know. I think honestly, I think that's one of the messages that I was hoping that students would get out of this class. Cause I think there is a tendency to look outside to all the world's problems. And there are so many problems in the world and that can be, um, really disheartening and i think that stops a lot of people from doing anything positive or also they you know try to you know to fix things or solve things which that is noble and stuff but not at the expense of you know burning yourself out or or suffering which i think a lot of people are suffering and i think i definitely would categorize myself in that way too in the past i was like you say ch- kind of in that victim mentality and getting stuck in the circumstances of life and some of the happiness uh, literature talks about there are different parts of reasons why people are happier than others. And our life circumstances are just a really small percentage. Like it's only like 10% of your happiness is really attributed to your, your life. And there's yeah. a genetic component, which is about 40%. But then really the other 50% is in our control. It's our our choices. It's our mindset. It's Um, you know, just our being. So you can just say like, I'm going to choose happiness today. Um, So I like that because I think, you know, if, if people would just work on themselves, like you said, the world would be such a better place. We'd have all these happy people that are, are thriving instead of just surviving. And a lot of the problems would probably get solved or go away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't watch the news because I was recognizing (laughs) that I was watching the news and seeing all these huge world problems, you know, like I'm not going to solve the patriarchy or, (laughs) or solve (laughs) hunger or homelessness. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that in the job role that I do, but how can I trickle that down to people that do that work? Or it's not, it's not for me to be the person on the front line picketing or you know, like it's that's just not who I am. Like that doesn't feel like my yeah. purpose. Um and for people like I'm so glad those people exist, you know, so like finding mm-hmm. our place mm-hmm. in this whole big machine because we need those people. We also need those people that really truly do thrive and trickle down what they have learned and even just like model to people. Mm-hmm. But this is a possibility <laughs> for you yeah. too when we're only surrounded by people that are in that victim mentality or miserable and suffering, that's really hard to see. You know, we just kind of normalize it. Like this is a normal way to live. And that's where I hit the wall where I was like, this is not a normal way to live. (laughs) When I was coming up with storylines for my Barbies as a five-year-old girl, never once did Barbie want to drive into work and get into a car accident. So she could finally have somebody take care of her. Like never (laughs) once did that ever happen. So, you know, she really honestly took care of all her wants. Like in my little storyline, she did all her wants that girl, like she was doing it all. She did everything she wanted to do. She didn't care about the people around her necessarily, if Ken showed up, that's cool. If not, who gives a shit? He's just a prop, you know. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. so
0: interesting. Like, I don't know. After watching the Barbie movie, I was like, some of these things kind of connected to where I was like, gosh, how did I even play with my Barbies? You know? <laughs> and that was the storyline, which Barbie did whatever the fuck she wanted. And I loved her for that. And like, why am I not doing more of that? You know, so like in the last mm-hmm. seven, eight years I have, and it's been amazing. I've taken from the world what I've given back. And quite frankly, it's been awesome.
1: Yeah, I know. I think that's, that's wonderful. I can really relate to that too. And I think it's, it's a journey. And I think, like you say, a lot of people have to see one side of something, one side of the coin to see the other side. And I think, you know, sometimes you have to suffer to find happiness. Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to, be at the top sometimes you just kind of have to travel back and forth a lot of times in a lot of different ways until you find what works for you and i think that's what um happiness and well-being kind of are like they're all and that's why i think it's so interesting with my journey is i was always so interested in all these things but i really wasn't doing it for my doing it for myself like i was you know researching it and finding out about it but i wasn't living it um yeah. and so that's why in the last few years, it's really clicked for me to live happy and to live well-being. is really, um, it feels so different than just, you know, reading about it and doing all those things that you should do. It's, it's, right. it's, a, it's a real shift uh, and it's life-changing. And I think that's why I'm so excited to be coaching people and, you know, to help people, because I don't think these things are just intuitive to a lot of folks. Like, I think that, uh, you can read all the books and you can, uh, you know, do all this self-help stuff. But I think a lot of people really need connection with somebody like a coach that has, you know, internalized all these things for themselves to really help them on their journey.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Martha Beck's one of her rules is live it to give it. <laughs> it and it to I give it. when I remember going through coach training and seeing that one and I was like, okay, I think I'm doing that one right now. But if I would have gone through coach training a year earlier, I would have not been able to answer that question as like, yes, I'm doing that. But I really like that one has been one that has stuck with me and I've really worked hard to live it, to give it. So I can just be a couple steps ahead of people that are, you know, needing help. Right. And so, yeah, so yeah, I love, I love that motto, live it, to give it. I think that's really important. And I also want to throw out there too, that my own journey, like I didn't just get to thriving and then I got to stay there. It's not this like linear path that you get to just like, once you've achieved it, you're there. It is constant daily work. And I think that's where people get tripped up where they're like, I'm back here again. I thought I figured this out finally. And here is a huge bombshell. You're never going to fully figure it out. Like, I think that's when you die. So like your body leaves this earth or your soul (laughs) leaves this earth when you figure it all out. Um, And you may never like you may figure it all out like you know so yeah so I think that is where the work is so I just want to share with people not to get disheartened or to practice some self compassion here because sometimes that's where the inner critic can come out like oh my gosh I'm yes I know better you know like Melissa you have a PhD you know better Rachel yeah you know you have spent how many years doing this you know better than to (laughs) act like this and so we can get really backhanded with ourselves. So I want everyone to be very gentle with yourself as you're teaching a new way. Like if you've been living this way for 40 plus years or even 20 plus years, it's going to take some time to unravel that. So we want to practice that self-compassion as those things come up like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, more of a curious mindset of that's interesting that that came up again. I thought I tackled that one. Okay. I guess there's still more, some work to do. Let's do it. You know? So like, again staying in that empowerment mode versus like i am a victim to all of this
1: yeah i know i definitely agree cuz i feel like um people just think it's a destination that you get to yeah. and it's not it's that it's the journey and it's staying like in the present on that journey and realizing that every day is is different like no day is completely the same as the last and you know with that brings you know, good things and maybe not so good things, but if you can stay in that moment and try and, you know, have compassion, like you said, for yourself, instead of being your inner critic. Um, I think a lot of those things, yeah. Like it's, it's a practice, right? Yeah. 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 And
0: like, yeah, anything that I've practiced at, sometimes I suck at it and sometimes I don't. So, you know, it's like, Yeah. yeah, that's just sort of how it works. So Melissa, I would love for you to share how people can find you. I know you're taking on clients and coaching people. Just tell us how we can find you and connect with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am definitely open to clients right now. So I have a website, just my name, melissakovich.com. I also am on LinkedIn. You can find me there. And I'm on Instagram as well with just my name, Melissa Kovitch, And I hope to be adding a lot more content just around like well-being um, and just in my services and just um, trying to be a positive voice out there. So, yeah, those are the ways that you can connect with me. Yeah, but I
0: appreciate your insights and educating us just a little bit further on this whole idea of happiness and well-being again, it's not like an exact science. I sure wish it was, Mm -mm. but you know, again, (laughs) I don't think we're ever going to get there. You know, like this is a human experience that we have to kind of figure out as individuals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like the thing that people don't always get is like, we can do all this research and everything, but we're all humans and we all are unique. So everybody's experiences are different. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of it yes yes
0: I know I'm just along for this whole ride you know like and there was a time in my life that I would have not said that I'm like like, you know like being a human sucks and you know I don't Mm -hmm. feel that way at all anymore like there are times where I think it's not so pleasant but I really love the ride so (laughs) I'll just stay on it you know and just keep on moving forward so
1: yep same (laughs) well thank you yes thank you to Rachel
0: Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.